It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. Hello, welcome to Football Social Daily, daily Premier League news and views. Today, it is all about Europe and the Premier League teams continuing to make their way through the various tiers of European competition. For Spurs and Liverpool, it was Champions League last night and two very different stories. Liverpool secured their place in the knockout stages whilst a VAR decision left Spurs waiting another week and left Antonio Conte fuming onto that shortly. In terms of Manchester United and Arsenal, they're both in Europa League action tonight, while West Ham face Salzburg in the Europa League Conference, which is very much the wimpy of European football compared to the Champions League's Burger King. Ready to get stuck into both a flame-grilled whopper and a bender in a bun is Joel Tudor and Steve McNaughton today. Lads, how are we? (laughs) Good morning. Oh, Making good, me hungry you. after that introduction. Have either of you ever had a bender in a bun, by the way? A bender no. in a bun? Jo- have you not had- No. See, where, where I grew up, they on the high street, there wasn't a McDonald's, there wasn't a Burger King, there was only a Wimpy, and uh, the bender in the bun was probably the second most popular item on a menu, but maybe more on that another time. Maybe that's a completely different podcast. <laughs> of course, you can listen to Football Social Daily as a podcast. You're doing that now, but if you want to get involved in the conversation based on football and takeaways of the past, well, you can get involved in the normal places social media-wise, but you can also now find us on Telegram, which if you've never used is a kind of flashy WhatsApp. It's a great place to keep up to date with all the stuff Football Social Daily and just generally wind Marley up about being a Newcastle fan as well. All the details are on our Twitter. There's a pinned tweet. If you want to get involved, head to at FSDpod to do that. But let's start off with last night's Champions League. We'll get on to Liverpool shortly, Steve, but I think we need to start with Spurs 1, Sporting Lisbon won. A really disappointing draw for Spurs, who had a last-minute goal ruled out for offside that prompted Owen, who works with us, a Tottenham fan, to say on the group chat that we have that VAR is the worst thing that ever happened to football. Here are his views on what happened last night. Just when you think you're getting somewhere with VAR, they go right back to splitting hairs over an offside decision. 
If it's clear and obvious, it shouldn't take four and a half minutes. For me, it's ruining the fan experience. We think we've won with the last kick of the game and then we're stood there for five minutes waiting to see if Harry Kane's toes offside by two millimetres. It's shocking. Steve. I mean, this is coming from Spurs fans that were recently singing about how wonderful it was after they benefited in the Champions League last season to a VR decision. Now obviously hate it. Do you agree that it's the worst possible thing to have ever happened to football? Um... Probably, uh, I think that um, you know we we see more bad stuff with VAR than than positive stuff, don't we? And I think that you know the it's too clinical now, and it takes too long. Uh, I think you know there was um, uh, there was a game the other day. I can't remember which one it was, but um, it took three and a half minutes to sort it all out, which is just ridiculous. And I think that if you look hard enough for a reason to disallow a goal you'll find it and I think that you know football is about the spectacle of the game the thrill the uh, the, you know the highs of it Um, and I just think that you know VAR is probably not too bad as a system I think that the people using it are woefully inept and that is that is the real issue with it is that a lot of these people do not get the decisions right and I think you know VAR when the referee goes over to the monitor is it only means one thing usually doesn't it and I think that's a problem as well. Um, so I'm I'm mm-hmm. you know I'm I'm old school. I'm more in favour of giving the attacker the benefit of the doubt. You know to make games more interesting and have more goals in them. And you know if someone's marginally offside and they they get away with one, that's that's the rub of the green for that team, isn't it? But you know when we're getting the protractors out and the lines out and we're trying to find the smallest of regions reasons like someone's finger has crossed the line I, I'm not I'm not into that and I would ha- if someone said to me uh, yeah VAR's gone it's thing of the past it's a terrible experiment that we'll never talk of again I would go okay happy with that mm. I mean the one thing we don't talk about is when they get it right and there are occasions when VAR does get it right and it correctly rules out goals or gives penalties that should have been that otherwise wouldn't have happened but this morning Joel I'm not sure that was necessarily the case last night. Do you think Antonio Conte will still be pulling his very expensive hair out as he wakes up? Yeah, he might be needing to go to Turkey tomorrow because that was a it was harsh as hell that one. I know like I agree with Steve. I really enjoy VAR. I think when it first came in, I don't did they try it in the 2014 World Cup or 2018, I can't remember which one, but it works so seamlessly. And now it's the fact that they don't know where to stop when it comes to the details. So the one yesterday I know it was offside because Kane's foot or knee was just ahead of the ball. But when you look at the still frame, it starts to get pixelated where you can barely even see where the line is. And then you have to think, well, where do we draw the line here? No pun intended when it comes to actually saying if it's offside or not, because then you've got to zoom in and then you've got to get extra cameras to see millimetres of a knee. That's not what football's about at all. If I'm honest, I feel like they need to put in a kind of tennis-style rule of three calls during a game. Because when you're doing four or five minutes reviewing something that is going to or should have been just called out straight away, or if it takes that long, there's clearly an issue with the decision. And I think that it just ruins the momentum of the game because at that stage of the 
of the match you know all the momentum was on Tottenham and they were really chasing that winner and suddenly they have to sit around and wait for four or five minutes and then they have to get started again and it's just it ruins the whole flow of the game and I'm, I'm not a fan of it but I am a fan of VAR just in terms of clearing up things that have been or should have been seen as clear and obvious but I feel like that's been lost in the wind now it just seems as though every single action of play is just being scrutinized and that's what's just killing the whole part of what it was meant to be brought in for which was clear and obvious errors I don't see that being a clear and obvious error and if they can't make a decision within 30 seconds to a minute they need to just continue the game um, because that it just felt so harsh to me it felt like you could look at the interpretation in so many different ways but like I say how far do you go how detailed do you go because I know in the Premier League last season or the season before, they were zooming in so far and using these ultra-thin lines just to see a toe was offside. I mean, come on, is that is it? How far do we want to go with this? It, I think the lawmakers need to start coming into place here and drawing a line in terms of how far they actually take this. Because, like I say, I feel like it just kills momentum a lot of the time. I still come back to the point that I think the sport at Premier League level should be played fundamentally in the same way as it is at Sunday League level and you can't replicate VAR at Sunday League level so potentially should it doesn't even need to be in there at Premier League level in terms of it disrupting the game last night there wasn't so much of an issue because it was pretty much the last kick of the game that the goal inverted commas would have been from that point of view Steve does Spurs just have themselves to blame they shouldn't be leaving it to the 90 whatever minute to be finding a winner against a team, with all due respect to Sporting Lisbon, but of lower quality. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's uh, that I bring it back to a uh, an MMA or a, a boxing analogy, and it's never leave it to to the judges. You know, make sure you go in there, get the job done nice and early, and have a good evening's work on it. Whereas Tottenham have toiled against the Sporting Lisbon side, who do have some talent in it, and they have a highly regarded manager, but. They should be dispatching them with ease. You know, Tottenham are, are one of the um, top clubs in the English Premier League, and they should be, you know, filling their boots against Sporting Lisbon. I feel, and you know, to be one nil down uh, and then drag it back to one all, and then be be very very deep into injury time, uh, where the goal was um, uh, chalked off. I think you know they do have themselves to blame. You know the tend to be to they tend to start doing a Spurs after a bit, don't they? And we I know we've joked about the last couple of years on the podcast. But they 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 just seem to capitulate in some way, don't they, where they they, they struggle to make things happen. And uh, Antonio Conte, I just get a vibe of Conte that he, he's gonna walk any minute. Um so I think that you know there's there's no clarity around his contract and I think it just all adds into the mix of how the situation is at Tottenham and their inability to to do things against um, when they're under pressure and against you know, modest opposition. I don't think many Spurs fans would be too upset if he did go at the moment. The tide seems to be turning a little bit. I don't know if you heard the crowd in the first half, Joel. Spurs managed one shot on goal in the first half. Do you think that potentially the slow starts, the sloppy play, the lack of attacking football, it's wearing down those Tottenham fans and patience might be starting to wear thin a little bit with the way Conte's approaching football at Spurs. No, at the moment, I still think they need to take some perspective, which is that they're in a really strong position in the league. This is the first minor blip, I would say, in their campaign, which every team goes through. And 
especially with Conte's record in the Champions League, it's not even surprising to me that they're starting to have these little blips, you know, against the likes of Lisbon, who, you know, despite the fact they've got a talented squad, Spurs' squad is 10 times more talented and they should be wiping the floor with these types of teams. So to see them, you know, going into the last game week with all the teams being able to go through to the next round is not a position that you should find yourself in, especially considering the groups that, you know, for example, Chelsea, I mean, I feel like they had a much uh, difficult group and they've managed to really wipe the floor with it, whereas Tottenham seem to be just struggling. And if they don't get through on the final day, again, I wouldn't even be surprised. Um, But I can see this... uh, as we know with Conte, it just it's very one way or the other. It's never a blurred line in the middle. He either goes his mm-hmm. way and he assembles a squad based on what he wants, or he'll just walk. And he's not he's pretty happy to do that because he's a top coach. He's made his money. And it's not like he needs to prove himself to anyone because he's won the lot, well, apart from the Champions League, but I don't see him doing that with Tottenham. So I think for for like I've mentioned in another podcast uh this week, I think that Mauricio Pochettino is just silently biding his time and I think his eyes will be all on this job again and I think Tottenham's will be too given if they need to pull the trigger because I do see this going a certain way but right now I think for now it's just a minor blip and with the World Cup coming up as well it might be a useful time for them to have a little bit of a break re-energise and go again in December, January time because it just looks like they're on a little bit of a slippery slope going downwards That decision could be hastened if the team drop out of the Champions League of course they now need a draw against Marseille in the final game to qualify for the knockout stages it's a far more positive story just a bit further north for Liverpool however who cruised past Ajax to lock in their place in the last 16 was it a sign of a team getting into their rhythm here Steve or was it just poor opposition from an Ajax team who have struggled in the Champions League this season because 3-0 decent scoreline I think it was, uh, you know, when when the the team was announced, uh, you know, me me and the me, me friends in in our WhatsApp group were saying, you know, that is a strong first eleven for Liverpool last night, and it's a luxury that that Jurgen hasn't had a lot this season with that, you know, midfield being decimated by injuries and the lack of investment that's come from a very, um, should we say, tight board. Um, you know, so I think that um, you know, if you, if Liverpool can get out, you know, a strong eleven in the games and and come through the games, you know, relatively injury free, uh, you know, we're, we're okay. The problem is for Liverpool is that when we we need to rotate because when we need to rotate, the players that come in just aren't of the right quality. Um, but you know, going to Ajax, it's not an easy place to go. You know, they have a habit of unearthing these gems from around the world don't need getting them playing really good football so you know if someone would have said to that before that game you know would you take a 3-0 win at the you know at the uh, Johan Cruyff Arena you, you would have ripped their hand off mm. um, you know these European nights are good confidence boosters for the team because you know we beat Rangers 7-1 and then we went on to beat Man City and, and West Ham in quick succession, alas, getting smashed by Forest last week. But um, you know, I think it, it, it's it's you know it's a good indication that when Liverpool can get the right personnel on the pitch, they they, they will uh, prove to be too much for quite a lot of teams. And I think yeah, you know, there's some real highlights in the uh, you know Darwin Nunes has gone four and four. Now he's starting to really mm. find his feet at, at Liverpool after everyone missed an you know, open set. goal last night, though, didn't he? I don't, you know what? It happens to a lot of players. I think that um, within a day and age, and I was thinking about this because I was reading some of the reports last night after after watching the game, and it said how 
Liverpool stuttered and whatnot. It was just it was just a difficult European place to go. And if it took us a little while to get going, it took us a while to get going. Yeah. And that that's the reality of it. But we've come away with a three 0 win. But we we live in a day where people focus on the negatives in the media as opposed to the positives, which are Harvey Elliott scoring again with his right foot. Uh, you know, which is a you know a turn up for the books. Darwin Nunes scoring another good goal. Um, you know, Mo Salah getting another goal. Um, another clean sheet for for Liverpool. I read I read a, an amazing stat for Allison that he played 200 games for Liverpool and had 90 clean sheets, which is just bonkers. Um, so there's a lot of positives in there, and we'll go on to the next game against Napoli. We owe them because they smashed us at their place. So we'll try and get a win to finish the group in style. I think Jurgen Klopp was trying to call you there to thank you for your kind words as well. So he's clearly happy with your comments. In terms of the game last night, Joel, it was kind of a little microcosm of Liverpool's season, I thought, because the first half they struggled to make chances. One shot on goal from Mo Salah in the second half, then they were suddenly rampant. Is that kind of an indication of where Liverpool are this year in the league and in the Champions League that at times they're just not creating enough? I was going to say the first 30 minutes, IS could have been 1 or 2 nil up pretty quickly. They had some massive chances in those first 20 minutes. And that's why I don't think, I think obviously the second half was all Liverpool and they completely dominated. But those first 30 minutes looked a bit nervy and Ajax went completely through the kitchen sink at it. And if it, if it hadn't been for a little bit better clinicalness up front, which they don't have these days... You know, they could have been pretty home and dry at half time. So I think for Liverpool, as we've seen, they've had a lot of injuries lately, which has completely messed around their starting 11s. And you've seen that in a few of the games recently, especially against Nottingham Forest. But um, it's difficult to say with Liverpool. I just see them as really unpredictable at the moment. I don't know what we're going to get every single week because I know there was a time when they had a nice confidence booster in the Champions League and then they drew the game the next week or they got beat the next week in the Premier League so it just for me they just need to get back to basics in terms of the fundamentals and just get the consistency back because right now in the Premier League you know they're almost what 13-14 points off the top of the league which is completely abnormal for a Liverpool side under Klopp at the moment Um and I think that mid lack of the midfield investment has really killed them in the summer. So let's see how they do. But I, I still think Napoli are going to be home and dry in this group. They just look absolutely head and shoulders above the majority of European teams this season. Definitely the surprise package in Europe and Napoli this year. Six successive seasons in the Champions League knockout stages now, Steve, for Liverpool. Klopp said after the game he doesn't take it for granted but is that kind of now minimum expectations as far as fans are concerned Liverpool should be in the Champions League knockout stages season on season or season even with the what you say is a lack of investment in the team it's not funny Jim that there's a lack of investment <laughs> I know um, but yeah I think it's that, comparative isn't it yeah yeah I think that um, you know it, it is a requirement of a, of a club of Liverpool stature um, you know, with the Champions League, we have a great affinity with that competition. As you know, we've won it six times. Um, you know, most successful uh, English club in the uh, British club in the Champions League. Um, but yeah, I think you know that that we do expect to get into the knockout stages and, and test ourselves against the best because now it becomes that competition that over two legs we do tend to excel in. 
um, you know, having you know reached the final, uh, you know, twice in the last um, uh, three or four years. Um, so yeah, I think you know we'll we'll play anyone uh, in the next round. I think over two legs, if we can get an, an away leg first, and you know, getting back to Anfield, I'd, I'd take that against anyone left in the competition, really. Um, but yeah, I think you know we we do need that. But the the problem is for us and to to keep achieving that is going to get harder when you you don't you know invest really that the Liverpool team is an mm. aging team there's no doubt about that um you know Thiago Henderson Milner uh, you know they, they are all the wrong side of a football's <laughs> footballer's um career age aren't they and um i just think that um yeah we you know unless Liverpool back him significantly with you know a couple of hundred million to sort that midfield out. Um, I think getting in the knockout stage is, is going to get harder by the seasons because it's just a matter of time before um, you know sports washing FC get into the Champions League and um, you know and that kind of throws a cog into the mix <laughs> alongside um, serial financial dopers Man City. Uh, <laughs> you know, good to get a dig in. Mm. Um, you know, but yeah, so I think that uh, you know we can keep it going with investment. If we don't get the investment, I think we will fall away. Well, we're going to drop into the Europa League next, which is something that Liverpool have avoided and Spurs need to avoid. But we're going to talk about Arsenal, Manchester United and West Ham and their European adventure after this. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. So we're into the Europa League on the Football Social Daily. Now, three Europa games tonight, starting in the Europa League. We'll deal with the conference in a moment, but we're going to deal with PSV Eindhoven versus Arsenal first. And Joel, Arsenal just need a point to finish top of Group A. Qualification already assured. Do you think Arteta is going to take some risks tonight in terms of his lineup? When you look at how they're doing in the Premier League and they're going to want to keep that top position as long as they can could we see him resting some players and still managing to get that point against PSV yeah I think well the five points clear in their group at the moment and on the return game at the Emirates they convincingly beat them so I think even with the second string squad they should have no troubles because they're in a really strong position now in the sense that because he has such a fixed first team that are winning 
Those on the sidelines are going to be absolutely desperate to get into that, namely Eddie Nketiah, who recently signed a new contract. And every time he plays in the Europa League, he actually impresses and scores quite a few, to be fair. So these games are actually pretty vital for those outcast players who just want to get into that Premier League team because it doesn't look like they're having too many injury problems. It looks like they're being really consistent, which hasn't looked the case in the last two to three years. Um, And I think this competition is one that they can definitely at least go there or thereabouts all the way in terms of at least the semi-final. But looking at the the teams that are dropping into it, I mean Barcelona, Juventus, Sevilla, Shakhtar Donetsk. I mean it's gonna be it's gonna be one mm-hmm. of the toughest campaigns I think we've seen in years. Yeah, let's go Madrid as well. I know on paper they look really strong face value they're not at all. I mean, they're probably some of the weakest teams they've had in a long time. But I mean, it's just the stature of these clubs being in in the Europa League is going to be a pretty tough campaign this year compared to other seasons. So it's not, you know, a, a simple campaign for Arsenal to win. But judging by how they've been doing lately, they, I mean, they just dropped points against um, was it Leeds last last week? No, not Leeds, Nottingham Forest. Who did they drop points against? No, Southampton. It was Southampton. That's right. Yeah, I mean, they dropped points. That's for the first time since they got beat by United in uh, September. So they're in a strong position. I think everybody, including myself, is just waiting for that blip and waiting for the downfall. But I don't know if it's ever going to arrive. But we've seen in recent years, uh, I especially remember the year that Leicester won the league. I think Arsenal were top of the league in um, Christmas time. And everyone was thinking, oh, this could be the time that Arsenal eventually win it. And to be honest, until we get to February time and they're there or thereabouts, I still don't believe it's going to be anywhere near the case. The consistency you've got to show to win the league, especially against Manchester City, is just on another scale compared to any other seasons we've seen. Mm -hmm. So let's see. But for now, you know, let them enjoy it. They've had a lot of pain, Arsenal fans, over the last six, seven, ten years. So um, they can enjoy their... Winter Premier League trophy. Let's see what happens when it gets to March time. It does feel slightly weird that no one's quite taken Arsenal seriously yet, though, doesn't it? Because I think none of us believe they're going to win the league, but yet there they are, out front at the moment. In terms of finishing first in their Europa League group, as Joel says, there's a few decent teams dropping out of the Champions League. You've reeled off a load of their Barca, Atletico, etc., etc. If Arsenal end up facing one of those big old famous clubs how confident should they be that they can get a result there Steve considering how well they are doing in the Premier League and how well they've done in Europe this season so far I think they fancy themselves against Barcelona uh, I don't think Barcelona would be would be too difficult for them at the moment even though they have Lewandowski and, and, and Cohen uh, I think they wouldn't fancy Atletico Madrid over over a couple of legs I think that would be um, uh, difficult for them and, and I think Juventus would prove to be a tough nut to crack as well but you know Arsenal have, have had a great start you know relatively injury free as well you know nothing too too serious on the injury front and that makes such a difference doesn't it you know for the team that, that are chasing honours if you can avoid you know your best players being injured um, you know you didn't be in with a chance and they play good football and they looked a bit leggy at the weekend against Southampton I thought when I, when I watched that game but yeah you know they have got to be you know one of the top six or seven or even eight favourites to win that competition. I think. Um, I think if, you know that that has got to be a minimum target for Arsenal this season, because you know even though the the, the they're out front, 
at the uh, in, in the Premier League. You know, I don't believe they'll win the Premier League. I think Man City will just steamroll everyone to, to win that again. Um, but I think that um, the thing, the problem is with Arsenal is that if they do run out of steam, like like Joe has just alluded to by let's say, you know by saying let's have a look at the table in March, they could actually tumble down a table to fifth or sixth, couldn't they? Quite easily. And I think that's going to be the real acid test for Mikel Arteta is how does he keep that team going at this level uh, after the World Cup next month when we come back and the, the schedule is just nuts. Um, you know, I was looking at the Christmas fixtures the other day and there's games on a Friday and there's games on a Monday. So, you know, there's barely any rest for for teams. Uh, you know, some t- players will pull up with muscle injuries and or even more serious injuries and it's how... Mikel Arteta manages that situation because Arsenal, even though they've spent quite a lot of money, they're not like City who have two almost world-class players in every position, don't they? Mm. Uh, so, you know, I expect them to be try and win the Europa League and, and try and get Champions League next season, either by finishing top four or winning the Europa League. With those big teams dropping out of the Champions League into the Europa, I don't think it's necessarily the poor form of those big teams. I think European competition this year at all levels is just really competitive. There's some big developing nations in this competition and teams that are kind of stepping up that maybe weren't considered contenders before. But one of the most interesting things, I think, is out of the 12 teams originally signed up to the Super League, and you might have seen a tweet from a fellow called Adam Crafton, who's been highlighting this, out of the 12 teams that should have been in the Super League, Barcelona, Juventus, Atletico, dropping out of the Champions League, Manchester United and Arsenal already in the Europa League, AC Milan and Tottenham currently in the Champions League, but on shaky ground in, ter- ground in terms of qualifying for the next round. Does it make this whole Super League thing even more of a nonsense that the teams that are considered good enough to be in it aren't good enough to be in the top tier of European football, Joel. Yeah, well, especially Barcelona and Juventus. They were two of the big front runners for the Super League and clearly they need it. But it's strange because, you know, for example, Juventus, it's not like they've not invested in their squad. Same with Barcelona. I mean, they've had to sell off assets of their own football club to actually compete this season. And that's the reason Mm. why they wanted the Super League because they wanted to avoid that scenario. And now we're seeing... The well-run clubs and the clubs who actually are doing it with a bit of a strategy, they're the ones who are in the Champions League right now and they're the ones who are doing it time in, time out. And we're seeing with Juventus, I mean, they're being run pretty badly at the moment. Barcelona, everyone knows the story that's going on there. It's the clubs who are being badly run are getting found out now because other teams, like for example, Tottenham, you know, they're no slouches when it comes to finances these days, whereas before it might have been the case. And you're seeing other teams as well with very good managers, i.e. Arsenal. I know they've had a massive financial outlay as well. But the well-run clubs and the well-managed clubs have been are coming to the surface. The cream's rising to the surface. And you're seeing that, you know, with Atletico Madrid, they've not had a crazy amount of investment in their squad over the recent years. And now they're in the Europa League. So it's um, I think we're seeing a massive tide shift in terms of who... We, basically, the fact that the coefficient and the status of your club means nothing now. Because other clubs can match you in terms of finances and that's where it all matters, doesn't it, really, in terms of using that money wisely. Um, and I think, yeah, the Europa League, I mean, it's looking like a, a 2010 Champions League campaign with the amount of teams that are dropping into it at the moment. And it's just going to be very telling to see what kind of clubs can eventually rise to the surface. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if this Super League does come around again in some capacity because I think a lot of these teams are pretty much 
relying on it to come to pass uh, because the finances I know Juventus have struggled a lot to try and for example bring Paul Popper and Vlahovic to the club last year because it's strained them hell of a lot the pandemic so let's see what happens I don't think it will ever happen but I mean the Champions League format is actually changing to a Super League style in 2024-2025 where the group stages are being scrapped so it's almost like UEFA trying to give everyone a bit of a carrot instead of looking at the Super League. So it's clearly a threat for sure. Um, and I wouldn't even be surprised if they try it again in the next few years. Let's stay with you for now, Joel, because your team are in action tonight. It's Manchester United versus Sheriff Tiraspol, who sounds like a bad character from an old TV <laughs> Western. But no doubt the big talking point tonight is going to be Ronaldo. It's always Ronaldo. Back in the squad, may even start. Should he be? It's, it's such a difficult one for me no because no player regardless of your legacy and your status should be walking out on your team when you're winning a game regardless of who you are mm. and I think Ten Hag is or when you're losing or, no, or at yeah, any point yeah any game whatsoever but it was the fact that we were winning there was no reason to walk out like go support your, your teammates who have just put in a hard graft for 90 minutes against a very good Spurs side and I think Ten Hag has managed it very very well he's not made it a drama I know the media are really trying to get a lot of sound bites out of him and trying to make him react but actually he's managed it in a really professional way which is that the team is the team and I'm the biggest person at the football club and that is that and um, it shows that it's worked because Ronaldo's reacted to it if anyone's seen his social media post you know he did a pretty groveling apology if you want to call it that straight after the game saying that it was a heat of the moment thing and he wants to be involved in the team I don't know if that's because of the mm. influence of Portugal and he wants to be match fit going into the World Cup and he's probably realised that because I mean um, in the last 10 minutes of the Chelsea game we needed someone like him to come on and he had to resort to bringing on you know the likes of Alanga who actually made a difference when he came on but that could have been Ronaldo and I'm sure he would have seen it that way so for me, you know, if Ten Hag feels as though it's water under the bridge, that situation, then I'm, I'm backing him all the way. I feel like he's one of the first managers who's actually took the bull by the horns when it comes to this job and actually making it his own rather than appeasing the fans or appeasing the owners. He's doing it his way. And I like that. So if he starts, he starts and I'm all for it. I trust in Ten Hag 100% now. I feel like it's the perfect storm with him coming to United in the current situation we're in. The other returning name for Manchester United is likely to be Harry Maguire, Steve. He's back in training. How important is it that he finds form now? He's had a few weeks out. He's escaped the booze. He's got three weeks to get into form for the World Cup from an England perspective. So from England and United, particularly Varney out for until the World Cup it's pretty important that he starts to find the form that saw him get that move to United in the first place, isn't it? It's a big ass though, Jim, isn't it? In fairness, I think that... Mm. I mean, it's been a long time. Yeah, I, I, I worry for Harry because I think that, you know, United have found a much more efficient partnership, haven't they? You know, Lissandro Martinez has been an absolute revelation at the back for them. So, you know, and Rafael Varane has, has been playing well. I mean, I don't know how serious his injury is. Uh, I mean, I know that Joel and the rest of the United fans will be hoping it's not too serious. But if, you know, the only way in for Harry Maguire is if one of them two gets injured, as far as I'm concerned. He does play well for England, which is the on balance. He's got a history of scoring important goals. And, you know, so do you reckon he deserves to play for England, though, if he's not played? It's a it's a tough one, Joel. I don't I don't know, um, you know, because I think that other other players will probably be ahead of him in Gareth Southgate's, you know, um, 
uh, pecking order. You know, Gareth Southgate's probably going to go for Tony Adams, Sammy Hippier at the back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know. yeah. It's tough though, uh, isn't it, for Southgate? Because John Stones isn't yeah. playing either. And it's like Eric mm, Dyer's not yeah. in form at the moment. It's, it's slim pickings at the back. And he does... I mean, if you were going to go purely on form, you probably have James Tchaikovsky as your centre back, and and that that doesn't really feel like how we should be going yeah. into a, with a World and Cup. And I think that you know everyone forgets Joe Gomez yeah. as well, who, who you know is is a is a very good centre half. Um, again, he has his, his off days, and that which when he does has his off days, he's a three or four out of ten, which isn't great. But when he when Joel uh, Joe uh, Gomez turns up, he's he's absolute quality. So I think you know you, you might be looking at Joe Gomez starting in the World Cup with with you know John Stones if if he can get himself sorted out in time or like you have uh, just said Tarkovsky. Um, you know it's interesting, but we know that Gareth Southgate doesn't pick on form; he picks on name and reputation, doesn't he? He's got a history of doing that with some of the bizarre squad selections and starting lineups that he has employed over his tenure in charge of England so it's a, it's a really tricky one because other managers will play off people that, that, that are in great form but I think Harry goes to the World Cup I think he will be there I'm just not sure he'll start but I think you know Southgate will probably start him you know mm. You mentioned the Ten Hag effect Joel you think He's kind of bedding in at the club. You're seeing some impact of Ten Hag ball on the pitch tonight. Is that a fair barometer of how's it, how it's going? The 2-0 win away from home was pretty comfortable for United, but this is a team that United should dominate and it's really a chance to show how far the club have come in the last four weeks. Yeah, I think the, you can see it on the pitch clear as day. I mean, if you don't watch football through statistics and just watch it through your eyes, you can see on the pitch the the play style. You can he's really implementing something really nice at the moment. He just needs, for example, I think we're missing a centre forward so badly. Just one out and out number nine. I wish we could reinca- reincarnate Rude Van Nistelrooy again because if we had him up front, I mean, I think we'd be doing the treble again. Um, but <laughs> what at the moment? At hey, don't talk age, about treble, <laughs> Steve. <laughs> Uh, no, but we we do we do need a top top number nine because we have lack of clinicalness all throughout that uh, forward three, and I think in this group Real Sociedad that's the game that I think all eyes will be on because obviously they don't look like they're letting up any games at the moment. They obviously beat us at Old Trafford um, in September, so our final game is at so- uh, Sociedad, and that's going to be a really difficult game. And it's probably even more incentive at the fact that if we do finish second, we're more than likely going to play against one of the teams that's dropped out of the Champions League. And to be honest, I wouldn't mind playing Barcelona because Frankie de Jong turned us down because he wanted Champions League football. So I would love it nothing more than to play him in the Europa League. It's just it's, it's just a beautiful scenario that, do you not think? Let's move on to the final game of Europa Europa action tonight. It is we'll, we'll, we'll do this one briefly because I appreciate no one cares about this as much as I do. <laughs> Europa League Conference: West Ham versus Silkborg. and I'm I'm not even that bothered to be honest with you. Uh, West Ham have already qualified for the knockout stages of the Europa Conference. They need one more point from two games to top the group. As a fan, I don't really feel like it's a particularly significant achievement because the opposition we faced in the Europa League conference have been pretty poor. And I would have expected West Ham to top it and I expect them to go all the way to at least the semi-final. Am I being a bit unfair on David Moyes and co by not recognising the achievement here, Steve? Or do you think a Premier League team in the Europa Conference should be expecting to get to the latter stages? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, West Ham... 
shouldn't really have any problems against you know FC Church view of um, Droylton, <laughs> and, you know, um, you know. So I think you know, the, I think West Ham are too good for them teams that are in the group. Who quite rightly to put some of them to the sword, haven't they? And I think that you know, I think the, the the problem is with the semi-finals, Jim. Is I think that with the other teams dropping in from the Champions League, I think that that route to the semi-final has got much more complicated, hasn't it? But I certainly expect. West Ham to hit the quarterfinals until they run into some serious opposition. And who knows, they might get past it and then anything can happen when you're in the semis. But I think it'd be um it'd, it'd be nice for West Ham to to get to, you know, the um uh, to get to a final of this and um, you know, big, big club, sixty thousand people in every week. Um you know, spent money on the transfer market. You know, Moyes, even though he's found it a bit difficult in the Premier League this season, generally has them playing quite well. So I think that you know, watch this space with it really. But I wouldn't be surprised to see West Ham uh, certainly get into the quarterfinals at the very least. One of the things I am interested in tonight, Joel, is to see the potential debut of Nayef Orgard, who made his well, he made his friendly debut in the summer picked up an ankle injury has been out since cost 30 million quid and from what I hear is a decent centre-back and that's a position that is desperately needed to be filled by West Ham at the moment considering the injuries we've got if he can get his fitness back and if he starts appearing could he be a good add for that summer's squad I think so I think well he came in with a massive reputation coming in and he spent a good amount of money on him and I think this is mm. the perfect competition competition to actually try out new players and try out new systems. But, you know, with, with the Conference League, I don't get why you're not excited by it. Because last season, Europa League, West Ham fans were absolutely loving the, um, the whole campaign and going to all these different stadiums. And when we saw Roma win the, Roma win the first Conference League ever, I mean... Rome was like <laughs> about a hundred thousand people on the streets, absolutely loving life. It was a pretty incredible occasion. We saw Jose Mourinho burst out into tears in the final. So I think for West Ham, they should definitely take this competition seriously. When you've got your players that you spent a lot of money on in the summer coming back, I mean, considering how difficult of a start West Ham had this season, it could only be beneficial for them, especially at the back, considering, considering they were leaking quite a lot. Uh, when the season started and now they find themselves in 10th in the Premier League so like I say it's all about perspective at this stage of the season I wouldn't even pay attention too much to the league table because it's like it's like a pendulum isn't it three points takes you down to relegation five points takes you up to sixth it's um mm. it's just one way you just need to keep the form as long as you can keep the form and the momentum regardless of little blips uh, then I think focusing on a, Europa, um, a European campaign is something to be excited about guys I just realised that I've just thought that West Ham were in the Europa League and not the Conference. Uh, so when I was talking about the uh, the Champions League teams dropping into it, um, I've got West Ham in the wrong competition. So I completely retract what I've just said, uh, and I expect I expect West Ham to win that competition. Uh, quite clearly because I do think they have the quality to do that um, my apologies to the listeners um, I just made an assumption that it was the Europa League so yeah I expect them to win it they've got too much quality for all them teams in there and it will be it'd be nice for them to win that trophy don't worry Steve this country is getting used to U-turns at the moment so that is just the latest in a long line you're perfectly safe we accept <laughs> you. your retraction <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess for me it's like the Europa Conference doesn't feel like it's real yet it's like being in the, um, the Carabao Cup in the early stages like when when it's the 
round three or whatever it is, you're not really that bothered. You're not really that interested. It's when it gets to the quarterfinals that suddenly your interest gets peaked and the teams that have already knocked out mm. start calling it a Mickey Mouse competition. I think that's where I am in terms of West Ham at the moment. But a win tonight would see us get through to the knockout stages. And that'll do for me at this stage. And that is it in terms of European football on Football Social Daily today. We're going to turn our attention to Fantasy Premier League next. I'm going to be talking to Tom from Who Got the Assist after this. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. As it's a Thursday on Football Social Daily, as always, we welcome... Dr. Tom to the house from the Who Got the Assist podcast all about Fantasy Premier League. You can find that on the Sports Social Podcast Network if you want to go a little bit deeper into the tips and tricks of this season. But Dr. Tom is here to answer some of your questions on today's Football Social Daily. How are we doing, Tom? Yeah, all good, mate. All good yourself? Yeah, I'm all right, Tar. Straight off the back of your holiday, did you have a good time? Did you yeah. uh, spend it all swatting up on the stats behind Fancy Foot Premier League? Yeah, I mean, I was on. The, I took the Eurostar out to the Netherlands. Um, with my, it wasn't like a lad's holiday. It was with my mum, so it wasn't as exciting. Okay. Was, you always say, "Oh, I've gone to Amsterdam the weekend." The people at work go, "Oh yeah, are you happy?" Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was just like, "No, it was with my mum, with my mum, with my family." Because I'm from, I was born, so more, I was born more, over there, so um, we we were okay, more Anne Frank's house, yeah, than, uh, cafes. yeah, and visiting old friends okay. and things. So yeah. That sort of thing. Cool. Well, hopefully you're rested and ready for these questions that are coming <laughs> from the Football Social Daily community, starting with your namesake, Tom, who says, with just three game weeks left between now and the World Cup, what can I do to make the most of that opportunity? Is there anything you can do or is it just basically there's going to be a big pause in Fantasy Premier League? Well, there will be the big pause, yep, yep. And during that period, it will be like the start of the season again. So you can make as many transfers as you want, change players. The only thing that you need to keep in mind is if you've earned a profit in any of the players, so players' rise prices, obviously, as you probably know, go up and down. Um, if you sell a player during that time frame, we'll talk about it later on, uh, but then you lose all that money, so be very careful. But yeah, with just three weeks to go, we really enter into what I refer to as punty terror territory you can take play you can buy players in for one week two week you know the kind of players that you wouldn't normally have a look at um just for this sort of period just because at the end of the day it's such a short term now in fpl a lot of the time we say oh, i'm going to buy him and i've got him in my team for a long time now perfectly happy to look at players who you know maybe you wouldn't consider because they are too short term they've got one good fixture two good fixtures or you may not consider them because they're an injury risk so 
A good example of that perhaps is Callum Wilson at Newcastle. So he's a player that I normally would be a bit iffy about just because of his sadly uh, kind of quite checkered injury record. But he's starting very well in the Premier League. He's got four four goals, one assist thus far this season. Newcastle are doing really well, surprisingly well in terms of the expected data. So they're third best in terms of expected goals amongst any team in the Premier League this season. Um, Eddie Howell, whatever he's done, has, has really got that team purring. Mm. So a player like that could be a player that you could bring in. Alternatively, you could do other things. So, for example, Arsenal this week, they've got Nottingham Forest at home for one week. Then game weeks 15 and 16 are both away at Chelsea and Wolves. What you could do is you could say, right, I fancy a punt on you know, Saka, Jesus, something like that. Bring them in for one week and then ship them straight out again the next week for another player. So, for example, uh, Man City, I'm sure you probably have three Man City already, uh, but they've got Fulham and Brentford, you know, likes of Everton. They've got Leicester at home, so Alex Awobi could come onto your shortlist. And West Ham end with two home games, and that's probably the, the best fixtures probably of the last two fixtures of, of this uh, first half of the season against Crystal Palace and Leicester. So you could, for example, buy... Saka this week for Nottingham Forest and sell him straight out again for Jared Bowen for those two fixtures. So these sorts of short-term things you definitely can do now. You can fill up the shackles are off. One thing I would say, though, is probably don't take hits. So a hit taking a minus four to make a transfer above what you've already got. I, I wouldn't advise doing them just because with such a short time horizon you need them to pay off pretty much immediately. And if they don't, you probably need about seven points for you to profit from that hit, assuming you're taking out a playing player. Um, The chance of that happening tend to be quite low. So I I wouldn't be going mad with the hits, but perfectly happy to just mess around with the free transfers to take advantage of the fixtures. Are you against taking those point hits anyway? Because it's something I always avoid in fantasy football. I don't like the idea of paying for players when I've got my free transfer options or do you think they are justified on occasion? On occasion, yeah. So if if it's an enforced hit, so there's an injury or you know there's a blank game week as we saw a couple of weeks ago, then that certainly makes sense just because you're replacing a playing player. Uh, you're bringing in a playing player for a non-playing player. Like 100% makes a lot of sense. I'm less keen on taken those sort of punty hits um, where you're removing a player who's playing anyway for another one you know um, fixtures are always one thing so if a player does have a good fixture run you think oh I've got to get him in yeah, I can kind of see it you can make the story for yourself but more often than not a hit tends to kind of hinder you in one week so if you go in with a minus mm. four your team has to do just a little bit more to get you that green arrow so normally um, I tend to be quite I've, in the past, I've been more friendly to hits. This year, I've kind of consciously tried to be more hit averse. I'm doing a lot better this year than I have in the past. So that's kind of where I stand on that. OK, let's move on to the next question. You kind of hinted at this a moment ago, but it's come in from Stefan, who says, is Haaland's foot injury going to blow fantasy Premier League wide open? I don't think we know actually how bad the foot injury is going to be yet. But he goes on to say he's expensive to have if he doesn't play but City's fixtures look good and I've had them since the start, so I potentially lose out if I sell now, which is what you were talking about earlier when you talked about price fluctuations going up and down. And he finishes his question just by going, help! <laughs> so can you help Stefan? Um, well, I mean, let's find out. Let's wait till, let's wait until Friday um, and see what Pep Guardiola says in the press conference. I'm assuming he's going to be 
opaque as usual sadly it's never <laughs> kind of the clearest unfortunately pep um but yeah I, I wouldn't be making any moves until we've found out from the horse's mouth what we think is going on um look the thing with holland is you probably got him in at the start 11 point, uh, 11.5 he's now 12.2 i think it is so that's 0.7 million more than you originally paid for him if you sell him and you want to buy him again you've got to find 0.7 million more in your team than you did at the start so that means that, say, you know, we get to the World Cup and you're playing around with your team, you're probably going to have less money than everybody else who keeps Holland. I think, you know, if mm. he is out for, you know, three or four weeks, then fine. Okay, there's potentially, well, definitely a case to sell him. If it's a case he just misses one week, I, I wouldn't be rushing to get rid of the guy. And I, after all, you know, with the likes of, you know, Mo Salah and co, not particularly firing at the moment, there's quite a bit of money floating around in teams. So you should be able to absorb the impact, especially for this week. So a lot of us have, you know, Andreas Pereira, for example, um, who's been playing really well recently um, obviously got the 10 points this week really unlucky not to return any points against Aston Villa in game week 12 he could come off the bench for you this week and you can capture another player as I mentioned the Arsenal guys got Nottingham Forest um, you could even you know, look at lots of Salah against Leeds or you know Foden uh, against Leicester if he's fit and firing so there's lots of options there I just absorb it this week and I certainly wouldn't be selling him how does it work when you sell players because you don't get the current market value do you no, you get half of it. Okay, so you, so it's half. So if he's gone up seven, do you get three or four or three? How's that work? Yeah, so every uh, every um, 0.2 rise that occurs, you get 0.1, if that makes uh, sense. Okay, that so does you make tw- sense. So I think at this point you'd be selling him for 12, 11.9 or 12? 11.8. 11.8 you'd okay. be selling him for now if you were to sell him because you've only from... He's risen 0.7, which the nearest kind of round is 0.6, isn't it? So he's gone up from 11.5 to 11.8. So plus okay. 0.3 from a 0.7 price rise. Still it's, a it's decent hit to take anyway. No, it just wouldn't, yeah, it wouldn't, be, wouldn't be worth selling him, that's for sure. Okay, final questions come in from Gary. I've got a sneaking suspicious, given the nature of this question, it might be Mr. Gary Southgate, because uh, he wants to know, is Dominic Calvert-Lewin worth a look? Now he's fit and trying to get a ticket to Qatar. So I guess DCL is back for Everton and he's going to be desperate to get sneak into Gareth Southgate's England squad. So that's going to be extra motivation. But is he worth taking the chance on? Are the stats backing up the possibility of bringing him in? Uh, simply put we don't know because he's not played that much this season um so you're not going to be able to make any statistical back uh, uh, you'll not be able to point to any stats to kind of pick him nonetheless everton have got three good fixtures coming up uh fulham away leicester at home and bournemouth away the last three before the world cup and hey who knows you know motivation is one of those things that isn't captured by the stats but it could definitely be uh, as the question asker says uh, something which informs how a player is going to perform um so if you do have a suspicion that calvert lewin has said there's no stats there but in those fixtures is going to be motivated to play well and which would hopefully bleed into his performance being good then certainly I can see the point of taking a punt on him you know you've got lots of him I mentioned Wilson earlier on there's also Skamaka uh, too at West Ham um, he's got Man United this week but those final two home fixtures Crystal Palace and Leicester at home are probably going to garner a lot of interest in the guy so there are loads of options floating around but if you do fancy Calvert-Lewin um, we are as I said in a very punty period at the moment so mm. if you do fancy it three good fixtures the guy's got motivation to perform um, but was pretty transformative actually to their attack against Crystal Palace makes complete sense if you do fancy it you might not be able to give me an answer on this one but in terms of obviously we don't know what the stats are around Calvert-Lewin because he's been injured for such a long time as you say but in terms of Everton going forward and how 
the supply to Calvert-Lewin will be. Is there anything we can look at to, from the fancy football performances so far in terms of chances created or assists that can give us some hope that he is going to perform? Well, I mean, Everton, as you can probably expect from a team who are mid-table, um, are solidly mid-table in terms of the expected goals <laughs> and the expected goal create, expected chance creation, things like that. What I would say is that uh, Alex Awobi, his movement uh, to the centre, um, no, previously he's been playing in loads of different places, but Awobi's posting as number 10 seems to have really unlocked him. And the two assists, especially the little flick on the weekend, I mean, again, not quite captured by stats, but I think there's a lot of confidence there with Awobi who for many years has you know, had a lot of potential but doesn't seem to have been unlocked um but him having this sort of free role could be a, a route to creativity for mm. um the feeding the likes of calvert lewin so i mean they're, they're little things which don't really get picked up by the data but things nonetheless that could feed into you know telling yourself a story you need to tell yourself in order to legitimate a pick like calvert lewin Nice one, Tom. So top advice for this week is it's punty season, so get punty. I like it. Nice one. (laughs) Cheers, mate. You can hear more from Tom on the Who Got The Assist podcast, which is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You can find it there or you can find it wherever you find your podcasts. Cheers, mate. Thank you. That's it for today's Football Social Daily. Thanks very much for listening. Make sure you've clicked subscribe and follow to this podcast wherever you're listening and we'll keep you up to date with everything that's happening in the top flight of English football. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.